everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The dynasty, the Dubs dynasty, fourth world championship since 2015 as the Golden State Warriors. Let's be honest, pretty much with ease. Took out the Boston Celtics in Boston last night, 103 to 90 to win game six and to win their fourth Larry O'Brien Trophy. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this jam-packed edition of our show. We got not one, not two, but five guests today. Going to finish the week strong for you here on RP3 and Company. We got James Yasko coming up, our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast to talk all things Astros. That'll be at 6.30 today. At 7 o'clock, Christina Long, she covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network. We'll be speaking with her as the Razorbacks get ready to play in the College World Series up in Omaha. In the 7 o'clock hour, we're going to keep the Omaha talk rolling right along as we're going to talk to Josh Helmer. He's the co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast. Oklahoma is the team no one wants to face as they're the hottest team in college baseball there in the College World Series as well. In the 8 o'clock hour, we'll talk with Nick Fondo. Cashing tickets. The latest on what you need to do this weekend. NHL playoffs bets. And of course, College World Series. And then at 8.30, making her RP3 and company debut, the award-winning Saints reporter, from the athletic Catherine Terrell will join us for the big easy blitz so we're going to cover a lot of ground lots to get to this morning and of course we'll give you the latest updates on the U.S. Open throughout today's show round two we'll be teeing off this morning from Boston and so much more poll question of the day is already up it's about the weekend. What will you be watching this weekend? Will you be watching the U.S. Open? Round two today, three on Saturday, four on Sunday. Will you be watching the Stanley Cup Finals? Will you be watching the College World Series or is it other? Let us know with your votes and your comments on Facebook and Twitter for our poll question of the day. We'd love to hear from you. But we're going to start off today's show, of course, talking about the NBA Finals. Steph Curry finally gets his NBA Finals MVP. And look, he had one of the worst games we've ever seen him have in Game 5. He did not make a single three-pointer. He was not that much of a factor. He played poorly. Had some bad turnovers as well. And we talked about it on the show earlier this week. 
Do you think Steph Curry's going to have another bad game? No. I kept telling y'all, no, no, no. He's going to come back with a vengeance. He's going to pour it on. And even though Boston will be back at home and they're going to have that energy from the home crowd, they're going to be fired up. Steph Curry is going to be going off. And sure enough, he did. 34 points, shot 12 of 21 from the field, made 6 of 11 from three-point range. Vintage Stephen Curry. They had the one play in the game that just stands out to me where Boston's actually defending him well, and he comes off the screen over on the side, and he shoots it off-balanced, off one foot, and still makes it. <laughs> He still makes it. 34 points for Steph Curry. They actually got some production from Draymond Green, who played his best game of the finals, getting a double-double with 12 points and 12 rebounds. He also had eight assists. He nearly had a triple-double. Huge shot in the arm for Golden State was Draymond who I've been wildly critical of because he has looked lost and washed for most of this postseason, particularly the finals. But when they needed him, he stepped up. They got 18 points from Andrew Wiggins. Clay Thompson did not have a good night, but it did not matter. SF led the way. Boston, meanwhile, Jason Tatum is their best player. And we've had a conversation about Jason Tatum being considered an elite player, one of the best players in the league. I think he got closer this postseason with the exception of one game. He played poorly this NBA Finals. Credit Golden State, and in particular Andrew Wiggins and the defense they played on, Jason Tatum, but he was 6 of 18 last night, 1 for 4 from 3-point range. He only had 13 points. If you're the best player on your team in an elimination game, you got to step up more. I like Jason Tatum as a player. He's emerging. But right now, he's an all-star. Is he an elite player? I don't know. I don't know. Jalen Brown played better in these NBA Finals than Jason Tatum did. Brown went off last night, 34 points, five three-pointers. Marcus Smart, not a factor. Four of 12 from the field, nine points. And his defense, Steph Curry, was not impressed. So two of the three guys that you needed for Boston to play at an elite level just did not play at an elite level this NBA Finals. Jalen Brown played at an elite level. Marcus Smart had no answer for Steph Curry. For the most part, we're talking a six-game series, and Steph got the better of them majority of the time. And Marcus Smart is your defensive player of the year. So, there you go. Smart didn't lock down Steph like they expected. 
And Jason Tatum just didn't take over games. Once again, if you want to be considered elite, you want to be considered one of the best players in the association, you got to you gotta perform better. And credit Golden State's defense. They game plan. You could tell Steve Kerr, especially after game one, <clears throat> that he game planned. They knew how to take out Tatum, how to frustrate him, how to get him off his shot, how to not allow him to get into any sort of rhythm when he got on the court. With the exception of one game, Tatum was really not a factor as an offensive player. And he's a great offensive player. But I said it before, the the X factor for me that was going to be this NBA Finals was the experience. And Golden State's experience showed up in a big way. Steph Curry is your NBA Finals MVP. Finally gets one of those. Never had one before. Kind of completes that. Go with the regular season MVPs and All-Star and everything else that he's done in his legendary soon-to-be Hall of Fame career. But Draymond stepped up when they needed him in Game 6 and got them a double-double. Andrew Wiggins contributed throughout the series. Klay Thompson did not play a good NBA Finals. But it didn't matter because Steph played at an elite level. Boston did not. Boston won Game 1. Boston won Game 3, right? So there you go. but it didn't matter because Steph took over. And that's what you're supposed to do. When you're the best player on the court, you take over games. Yeah, remember, Boston won game one handedly. Steph scored 34 points in that game. Golden State bounces back, wins game two. Steph scores 29 points in that game. Boston wins game three by 16 points. Steph still scored 31 points in that game. And then Golden State wins game four, game five, game six. Steph scores 43 and then 34 in two of those games. Like Boston, who was arguably the best defensive team the last quarter of the season and through the playoffs, had no answer. Had no answer. They tried double teaming. Did not matter. Steph found a way to get free. You defend Steph. Doesn't matter. He's still going to shoot the three. And Golden State's experience of being in a finals, of knowing what you need to do when you're down a game, or two games to one. Knowing how to play on the road. Knowing how to play in a hostile environment. Knowing how to deal with the pressures of trying to win a championship. Because that is a pressured feel event. This is their fourth. This is their fourth. I mean, this is their fourth. Fourth NBA title together as a group since 2015. 
And they've lost a couple of others. So they fully understand what's at stake. Can this be a foundation season for Boston? Can this be the type of season where they're going to learn from and be able to come back and make additional runs for years to come? Absolutely. Absolutely they can. And can Jason Tatum learn from this? Because he did not play well in the NBA Finals. Just didn't. Played poorly for the most part. He's going to have to elevate his game, and Boston's going to have to elevate their game if they want to be world champions. Golden State Warriors win the NBA Finals in six games. Steph Curry is your MVP, and the NBA season comes to a close just in time for the draft on Thursday. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up, though. Phone lines are open. Give us a call. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Today is going to be the day that you're going to sign up for our clubhouse rewards. That's right. You're going to become a member of the clubhouse. You can go to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and you're going to sign up. It's free to do so. It's easy to do so. Heck, we've even created a how-to video, a tutorial, if you will, with co-host of Crunch Time with me, Gezma Mesh. Mad me guess. It's easy and it's free. And once you become a member, by the way, once you become a member, you're going to earn 500 points by just signing up. And then you're going to have opportunities to earn more points. And those points are going to serve as your currency. And then you can use that currency to score great free stuff. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down in Cypress Bayou. A $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. Or a $25 gift certificate for Mabel's Kitchen. All three of those are available right now in our clubhouse. And once you become a member, you're also going to have opportunities down the road for Astros tickets, for concerts, and so much more. So go sign up for the Game Clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's easy, it's free, and once you become a member, you're going to have the opportunity to score free stuff. Once again, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse, a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. U.S. Open. Some names you weren't expecting atop the leaderboard. Adam Hadwin, the Canadian, shot four under par. My man carded a 66 at the Open yesterday. 
at Brookline, in Brookline at the Country Club outside of Massachusetts, outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Calum Terran, the Englishman, is at three under. Rory McIlroy in contention, three under, tied for third. Dustin Johnson lurking at two under. Justin Rose, two under. And right now, Mathis Dafu, who shot a 67 yesterday, took the early lead by birding hole number one, but then just gave it back on hole number two, so now he drops back down to three under par. So some interesting names, a lot of names that you're not that familiar with or that most people aren't familiar with, but you do have some of the heavy hitters. As I mentioned, Rory and Dustin and Justin all there uh, near the top of the leaderboard. Justin Thomas, one under par. He'll be teeing off at 629 this morning after carding a 69 yesterday. Gary Woodland, one under par as well. John Rahm, one under par. Adam Scott, one under. So you have some guys that are there. Scotty Scheffler, he did not have a great day. He shot even par, which means he's not out of it. The world's number one player. But he's tied for 26. He's got some work to work to do. He's there with Webb Simpson and guess what? Patrick Reed as well are all tied for 26. So is the amateur, a pair of amateurs, Travis Vick and Sam Bennett. Both shot even par as well. So not a ton of low scores, but also not a lot of golfers going off the rails yesterday during the first round. Sam Burns, the former LSU Tiger, he's right there. Tied for 42. He shot one over par yesterday. But then you go further down. And some folks had some issues yesterday. And one of them is Phil Mickelson. Shot eight over, a 78. He's in danger of missing the cut. I would say he's probably going to miss the cut unless he just goes out there and goes crazy. But he's going to need help from the rest of the group to push the cut line back. He had an awful day. Of course, the PGA Tour supporters and the commissioner rejoice when lefty shoots a 78 on the opening round but that's the real big name that you go "Uh oh he's nowhere near completing the career grand slam and look when he came and won the pga championship last year i was surprised by that because the way Phil's game had been the last couple of years, you didn't expect him to be in contention for another major championship. So it felt like the win at the PGA Championship might have been his last, you know, his last hurrah, so to speak. But it'd be immensely embarrassing for him to be able to miss the cut at the U.S. Open after defecting for the LIV Tour. Projected cut line is two over. Two over par. So right now, in danger of missing the cut, Tony Finau, one of the world's best golfers, he shot a 73 yesterday. Brooks Kepka also carded a 73. 
And, of course, Phil Mickelson, Kevin Kisner, Billy Horschel, also three over. So you got a lot of talented golfers that are having their lunch handed to them. Sergio Garcia is another. Jim Furyk, another as well. So, But the U.S. Open, it's designed to be challenging. And very rarely can you put yourself in a hole in round number one and be able to recover. Especially at a course that's designed this way. The Country Club at Brookline has been retooled to be immensely difficult. Who do I like? You know, I want to see what Rory does today. He's playing extremely well, obviously coming off the RBC Canadian Open victory. He's, you know, already at three under. But some guys that are right behind him that I feel like has a chance. You know, Justin Thomas won a tournament that uh, not that long ago. John Rahm. Colin Morikawa. I like his chances. Scotty Scheffler, Patrick Reed, Webb Simpson. Any of those that are around like three strokes behind the leader. Three, maybe four strokes behind. Keep an eye on the, that group today and see what happens. Once again, the second round of the U.S. Open has officially teed off. First group is through hole number two. Second, uh, second group is through hole number one, it looks like. So they have begun play of the second round of the U.S. Open there at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. We will keep you up to date on what's happening in golf's third major of the year throughout today's show. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, James Yasko, our guy, joining us a little early this week. Our friend from the Lehman Time Time podcast will join us to talk all things Houston Astros. They were off last night. They'll get back to action tonight with the three-game set against the Chicago White Sox there at Minute Maid Ballpark. You can listen to those games live right here on the game, of course. James will break it all down for us next you're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. 2-4-9-5-6-7-8. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Houston Astros had the night off. And they're finding ways to still crush their division. Despite being 7-6 and six in the month of June, despite Alex Bregman playing just awful baseball, and Jeremy Pena being sent to the IL for a hand injury, the Astros somehow increased their lead in the American League West by four games. Does that tell you more about the Astros or does that tell you more about the AL West? 
or maybe a little bit of both. To break it all down for us is our friend from the Lima Time Time podcast and contributor for the Houston Chronicle, Mr. James Yasko joins us now on RP3 and Company. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I I am <clears throat> I am alive, and that and that that's that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it right there. I am alive. <laughs> you survived the two weeks of all the additional work. You'll be going to sleep here shortly. We'll we'll, we'll put you to uh, a slumber sooner than later, my friend. This this could be fun. I I do not care. I have zero inhibitions. I will say literally whatever <laughs> pops in my head. <laughs> okay, let's start with the fact that. Seven and six in the month of June. They have not played well. Uh, they've had issues at the plate. They've had issues with their pitching rotation, their bullpen. Yet they increased their lead in the American League West. What does that tell you? Uh, the the AL West is uh, is in a is in a, a slap fight with the AL Central for the most garbage division in baseball. Is it really that bad? I mean, is it really that bad? I mean, yes, I guess the Angels are imploding, right? Well, okay, so I mean, you, with the with the AL Central, if we're going to break this down, you know, you've got you've got the Guardians, who I don't know how hard they're trying because uh, I, I don't really think about about the the Cleveland baseball team a whole lot. Uh, the the Tigers are are kind of trying, but they're they're still trying to thread the needle between you know, Miguel Cabrera and a full-on youth movement. Uh, and then you've got the Royals that, that who knows, they're on some sort of cycle as far as getting back to, to winning more pennants than the Yankees uh, in, in the 2000s, uh, or since 2000, what, what nine, something like that. Um, the, the A's aren't trying in the AL West. And then you've got the Rangers, Mariners, and Angels who seemingly are trying, but it's not working. Uh, so I don't I don't know who you give the edge to uh, who you give the edge to there. What'd you make of what you saw from Jose or Kitty the other night? Yeah, it was good. Uh, it, I mean, he didn't get slapped around. He's not giving up, you know, batted balls with the exit velocity at the speed of sound uh, like he has been <laughs> doing, you know, for the for the last few weeks. Uh, so nice little nice little bounce back. Uh, what was it six innings and you know kind of. Spread out a few hits, maybe gave up a couple runs, but but yeah, no, he I, I think he knows like he's sort of fighting for his spot in the rotation. So uh, if if the uh, the the presence of Hunter Brown kind of helps him find an extra gear, I don't think anybody's mad at that other than Hunter Brown. Do you believe we're going to see Hunter Brown this season, and in what I capacity? Think, I, I think so, and, and a starter. I mean, you, you know the, the you. A normal season, you're going to see 10, 11, or 12 starting pitchers, and so it's it's extremely. No one just no one just has five, uh, and I know the Astros have been playing with a six man rotation, but but even with six, like you, at some point over the course of this season, you are going to need uh, someone to come up and 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 get a spot start, or or you know someone goes on the IL for for a, for two starts, and and then you see what you've got. So at some point, we're going to see Hunter Brown, and I think it's going to be as a starter. James, let's talk about the lineup. It took a hit with Jeremy Pena. He's only going to be on the IL for 10 days. Do you believe there's going to be rehab assignments involved as well? And when do you think we're going to be able to see him back playing again for the Strohs? 
do we know exactly what it's for? Like, is it a finger? Is it a, is it a wrist? It's a little murky. <laughs> so, so it's typical Astros stuff. It's the whole, like, upper body injury that the NHL does. Um, so I, it, it sort of depends on what it is. No one seems to be too concerned, but no one seemed to be too concerned about Lance McCullers when he came out after game four, you know, early in game four of the ALDS. So it's, it's the Astros, and I guess they don't owe it to anybody, uh, to be completely honest, I, I mean, even though it, it's not like we're at war, we're at war, literal war with anyone that you don't want to give away, you know, state secrets or anything like that. I, I don't understand why they're so secretive about the process, but uh, I, I think the word is that it, it's not too bad. It's more precautionary, and 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 he should be back. So I, maybe, you know, depending on how the schedule works out, <clears throat> you know, maybe he gets. He gets a weekend in Sugarland uh, just to kind of see what Southwest Houston has to offer uh, before before going up fifty nine. Shout out to Southwest Houston. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I guess officially they say left thumb discomfort, and the MRI did not reveal any long term damage. So I guess he has a ligament issue in his thumb. It sounds like. Um, so what do they do now? at short what's in what are they going to do and how are they going to uh, manage this the next 10 days two weeks or whatever it may be that before Pena returns to the roster I, I think that's that's <clears throat> this is where the versatility of Aledmus Diaz uh is is such a benefit you know he can he can play you know anywhere uh in the infield so so we're gonna we're gonna get a, a strong dose of Aledmus Diaz over the next uh, seven or eight days however long it's going to be before Pena is supposed to come back. The fact that they said discomfort means that, that Pena is probably going to have to have that thumb amputated, uh, and that's, that's going to be that. We're talking with James Yasko of the Lima Time Time podcast and a man who is a contributor to the Houston Chronicle. That's not a lie. We're not making that up. That's actual facts. He joins yes, us here on RP3. 16-year-old <laughs> me who grew up in Pasadena, Texas, on the, on the, the southeast side of Houston, Still can't believe that that's actually like a thing. Yes, yes. Um, let's talk about Alex Bregman because, whew, yeah, you know he had the a uh, couple games where he got on base multiple times, but his average, his slugging, his on base percentage, it's all awful. Uh, it, it's it's the worst year, worst season of his career. Uh, and he he didn't even perform this poorly in college at LSU. What's wrong with Alex Bregman? I don't I don't know. Um, you know, I, and I think we talked about this last week, and I, I haven't I haven't done the numbers since since last week. But I mean, from from 2020 to 2022, and and I know he missed you know a, a, a lot of a lot of last year uh, with that hamstring issue. But but we're not talking about an insignificant amount of games. Like we're not talking like he he just went cold for a couple of weeks. Like there's there's sort of a track record here, where he's just not hitting, and 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 if he is if he is hitting, then then it's it, it's not leaving the yard. Um, you know maybe maybe there's a double. You know once a week, twice a week. Um, but the thing is, like he's still drawing walks. Like he's he he still has command of the of the strike zone. He, it's not like he's 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 not hitting and he's striking out in ninety percent of his plate appearances. He just he's just either 
making extremely weak contact or or is contact right at somebody. And and it's been going on long enough that I, I think it, it qualifies uh, as a concern. And I know Dusty's going to going to leave his guys and, and let them sort of hit their way out of the slump. But I, at some point, you've got to think about moving him down in the lineup because he's just, you know, if, if you've got Altuve and Brantley on base ahead of you and, and you've got Bregman up, you know, a, a, a double play is, is, is in play. Like it's, 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 uh, he, he's not really helping right now. And I know it's eating him alive, um, but, but he needs, he needs to figure it out soon. I mean, he's not in danger of getting sent down or traded or anything like that, but it's, it's, I mean, it, it, everyone knows, and especially everyone listening, he, it, Bregman's got, got a, a lot of pride in, in how he plays the game and the success that he's had. Um, it, it's just something's not clicking, and, and it would be great if it could click sooner than later. And if it's not clicking, then it, it needs to not click when, in, the, in the seven hole, not, not, not hidden third. But Dusty's old school. And Dusty's going to leave his guy in there because Dusty played the game and he played the game really well for a long time. And he's been a skipper for, you know, 40 years. So he's going to leave Breggs in there, right? He's going to leave him at the top of the order and just going to let him hit his way out of the slump. That's what Dusty's going to do, right? I mean, there's, he has, he's, that's what he's done. That's what he's done for the last two years. So, so yeah. Um, is that the right? I mean, he, Ultimately, you know, Dusty's sort of a player's manager, so it's, it's yes. got to feel good for Bregman, you know, to, to keep getting to, to be to, to be given that that much of a, a leash or rope or however you want to put it to, to figure it out. But, and but now now it's it's up to Bregman to, to sort of reward that faith. What do you make of the progress that we're hearing about Lance McCullers? It's encouraging. Um, you know, I mean, if if you. If you had if you had Lance McCullers, you know, let's say it's, it's let's say it's the end of July, uh, and and McCullers is is coming into the rotation. That's that's as good as a as a blockbuster trade. You know that that's your trade deadline move uh, to sort of you know put some if if there's any questions about the rotation, it, it puts those to rest. So you know the fact that he's 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 throwing and you know his velocity is is in the high 80s at this point, which, you know, given the severity of the injury and how long he had off, that's a, that's a pretty good sign. Uh, it's, it's all pretty encouraging so far. And what about Forrest Whitley? He began his <laughs> rehab assignment yesterday, too. What, it's been two years since we've seen him, right? It's, it might be. It's coming on like two and a half, maybe three years. Forrest Whitley, uh, if, if he ends up in Houston at some point this season, that is the greatest comeback since Lazarus. And 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 that that is absolutely incredible because I I I started to not believe that Forrest Willie existed. <laughs> Begin to believe he didn't exist. All right, but I'm gonna get you out of here with a non-Astros question. FIBA World Cup Wait. sites for United States were unveiled yesterday, and H Town, in addition to Dallas, but Houston was awarded one of the sites. They're gonna host uh, multiple games there in Houston how big of a deal is this it's, it's absolutely massive uh you know the, the good thing is that Houston's figured out all of its traffic problems so having an extra you know a couple hundred <laughs> that's a people, lie <laughs> uh is, is not you know that's that's all put to rest you know t- t- TxDOT has done a wonderful job uh getting getting Houston efficient with their traffic so no it's it's just I mean the, the World Cup is 
I know people, and I was I was tweeting about it yesterday, and and I you know there's always the snarky comment, and I'm still waiting for a question about Calvin Phillips possibly going to Manchester City from Leeds United, and and I'm ready to answer that question. But it I know people sort of dismiss soccer, um, but it, it it legitimately is the the biggest sporting event in the world. Uh, you will you know you how many people watch the Super Bowl? A billion. Yeah, it feels that way. Yeah. You know, about, about a billion people watch the Super Bowl. We're talking like three to four billion will watch will watch the World Cup final. Like that, it's it's an absolutely massive event. It's it's a, a huge. Not that Houston needs any sort of pick me up as far as national prestige goes, uh, but but it's it's just it's good for the city uh, and it, it's it's good for it'll be good for the the local economy and it's it, it's just it's just good. Uh, it would be absolutely egregious for for FIFA not to have put some World Cup games in Houston, given the demographics, given the size of the city, uh, and given the facility at, at NRG Stadium. Brother, appreciate your time. As always, get you some rest, my friend. And we'll talk to you at our regular scheduled time next Friday morning at 7 o'clock, bud. I love it. Thank you so much. That's James Yasko, co-host of the Lima Time Time podcast, joining us here on RP3 and Company, talking mainly Houston Astros, but also a little FIFA World Cup. That's right, 2026 host cities were announced Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, KC, LA, Mexico City, Miami, Monterey, New York slash New Jersey, Ugh. Philadelphia, Jersey, sorry, San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, and then obviously also Toronto and Vancouver. But big deal, if you're a big soccer fan from this area, you won't have to travel very far to get some World Cup action. Houston, Dallas, Definitely in driving distance. And then it'll go a little bit further out. You can go to KC and maybe over to Atlanta. It's the world's biggest game. It's the world's game. It's the beautiful game, as they like to say. My only beef with soccer, folks, is this. You're pushy with putting your game on other people that don't watch it. It's always the same argument. Well, you know it's the world's, it's the world's most popular game. You know, the whole world loves it. Yeah, I don't have to love it. I don't live in the whole world. I live in America. Okay? Okay? I'll live, I'll live here. Uh, I respect soccer. I watch the World Cup. I've been to a MLS All-Star game. I've been to a friendly back in 1998. The U.S. team took on Paraguay in St. Louis, and it was a great time. But soccer guy, soccer guy, soccer gal, I know you're listening. Just just don't be so pushy with it. Okay? Because every time the, the World Cup comes around, you guys become, you, you become the equivalent of what Boston Red Sox fans are the rest of the year. A little too annoying for your own good. Okay? So just scale it back a little bit. We got to take a timeout. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
update on the poll question of the day. What will you be watching this weekend? What will be appointment viewing this weekend, as they like to say, as part of the lexicon? What will you be watching this weekend? What's going to be appointment viewing this weekend? 58% of you say the College World Series. 25% say the U.S. Open. 17% say other. No votes for the Stanley Cup Finals. Hockey fan not out yet. JPK the OD, always reliable with his I hate every sport but football tweet. That's becoming a trend, by the way. Other, <laughs> I'll be watching future Saints preseason receptions leader and regular season practice squad player Jonathan Adams and the New Orleans Breakers play the Houston Gamblers. I'm unpaid, unknowledged, unknown, self-appointed, super sketchy scout for the Saints. <laughs> Steve says U.S. Open. Going to pack my car at the bar and eat a bowl of chowder. <laughs> no salt Friday. Thank you, Steve. Uh, keep those votes coming on a poll question of the day. Speaking of the U.S. Open, second round has teed off. Right now, Adam Hadwin, the Canadian who shot 66 yesterday. He is your sole leader. He is yet to tee off this morning. Others that were paired up right behind him have started to tee off and have started to fall back a little bit. But Sam Burns is on the move. The former LSU Tiger is two under for the day already. He shot a 71 yesterday. He's moved up 28 spots on the leaderboard early on. Two under through two holes. He's now one under par for the tournament. Tied for 14th. Gary Woodland also one under. Look at some other. Uh, Cameron uh, Tringle is one under through three. He's up to 26 as well. Scotty Scheffler has already teed off. He's even par through one as well. So Justin Thomas, oh, he's dropping. He bogeyed hole number one. Oh, he doubled hole number one. Ooh. Not a great start to his round. U.S. Open second round in progress. We'll keep you updated throughout today's show. Coming up next, though, Christina Long. She covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network. She's going to join us next. Give us a preview of the College World Series right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The College World Series will begin today, and it's going to have very much the feel of the SEC tournament in Hoover, Alabama, up there in Omaha, as four of the eight teams are from the mighty SEC, including all four from the SEC West. And our next guest 
covers one of those teams that after last year's disappointment of not making it to the College World Series, they punched their ticket but did so on the road. Had to earn it the hard way, so to speak. And joining us now here in RP3 and Company to talk about the Arkansas Razorbacks is Christina Long, who covers them for the USA Today Network. Christina, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to get to go to Omaha. It is a tremendous experience, and I hope you get to enjoy yourself. And for Arkansas, you know, they were the number one ranked team in the country last year. Lots of expectations. They looked like they were going to be the clear-cut favorite to make it to Omaha, just like Tennessee this year, yet it didn't happen. What's the biggest difference from last year's team to this year's team on being able to punch their ticket to the College World Series? Yeah, I mean, I think that last year's disappointment was really fresh on this team's mind because a lot of those guys from last year's team are still on this roster. Um, Their shortstop, Jalen Battles, and their designated hitter, Brady Slavens, um, both had the option to leave after last season and decided to come back. And one of the big things, once they did punch that ticket, was those two guys getting together and being like, this is what we came back for. So those two guys in particular have really been celebrated since they made it to Omaha. But I think the biggest difference is um, their closer, Kevin Kopp, um, who was the Golden Spike winner, you know, one of the biggest stars in college baseball. And he, this team really does not have a similar caliber star. Um, there are some really obviously talented players, uh, but there's nobody whose name is really popping off um, nationally. So I think that's one difference. Obviously, no team in college baseball is made by one player. Um, it's not like some other sports in that way, but I think that's one aspect of it. Um, but I think also this team has kind of gone back and forth in their ability to kind of hit in the clutch, and they've really gotten better at that over the postseason. Um, and their starting pitchers have actually really um, been good this season, especially their ace, Connor Nolan. He's been able to go, you know, six, seven innings in this postseason, which has really helped them a lot. You know, something about Arkansas baseball that has always kind of stood out to me, especially under this skipper, is that they're a bunch of grinders and kind of workmanlike players. Not many of them are going to go on to the big leagues. They don't have a a ton of star power, but yet they just find ways to go out there and play good baseball. How much does that help them? How much did that help them, that kind of mantra, that mentality, this postseason through the regional and super regional round? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that's most impressed me um, because this season before the postseason started was really viewed as kind of a down year. Um, They didn't win the West. Tennessee, obviously, nobody was going to catch them. But, you know, they didn't win the West. They went really cold down the stretch. They lost, like, I think, like six of their last eight um, and their last two SEC series. So the mentality among the fans was really that this was just not the year. Um, And there was sort of the disappointment. from a fan perspective, and I think the team, Coach Van Horn, and then a couple of the players had been outspoken about, you know, it's real like this is really hard, and like some people are, you know, some players had spoken out about comments they were getting on social media, things like that, because fans were upset about how this year was going. So it was not up to the standard, even though they still had a very good year. Um, people were upset that they weren't going to host a regional, things like that. So there was really, I've been very impressed with their ability to really just completely flip the script in the postseason. I mean, and now all of a sudden you've got people saying, what a great year this has been. And, you know, because they've made it to Omaha, you know, the ends justify the means. So 
I think that's been really impressive to me is how Coach Van Horn and how these players have been able to kind of just turn that around when it sort of felt like the season was a wash. Only in SEC fan bases would winning 40 games be considered a disappointment. <laughs> it's just, I know, right? it's just only, only in this conference. You know, and what was really impressive is that, you know, they did not look good at the SEC tournament. Now, that was all disjointed because of weather, and I'm sure that played a role. But they were reset, and there they are in Stillwater against a national seed, and they take down Oklahoma State, take two of three from them. And one of those games was the crazy 20-12 to 12 game. What was the difference from your perspective watching that team be able to take down Okie State two out of three times to win the Stillwater Regional? Yeah, I mean, that was a crazy, crazy regional. It was really fun to get to be there. Um, and I think a lot of people were surprised that they were able to win a fight like that because of how in the SEC tournament they looked sort of defeated. Um, and like I said, people, the perspective from the fans at least or from outside of the program was that this year was kind of like, this isn't it, like whatever. And so I think that was why it was so shocking that they won such a difficult fight. Um, but I think what made the difference was, I mentioned the starting pitching. They had a couple of solid starts. Um, Hunter Nolan started the game against Grand Canyon um, and went, I think, like six innings, um, which really helped get the bullpen. And then the bullpen really stood up in those next couple games. The, the starters um, later on, a couple of them had short outings. The bullpen really finished to that offense was able to keep them in the game. You know, like the bullpen was able to limit Oklahoma State enough for Arkansas's bats to get going. And that was the real key. And the, the most interesting part was they took their usual Friday starter, Hagen Smith. Um, he's a freshman lefty. And he had been he had been taken out of the rotation in the final SEC regular season series, and he didn't pitch at the SEC tournament. Um, the idea was that he was resting. His velocity was kind of down. And they actually had him close out a game against Oklahoma State. And it was this incredible moment. He struck out um, Rock Riggio, who was Oklahoma State's hottest player that weekend, um, a fellow freshman. He strikes him out for the, to get out of this bases-loaded jam. Um, and I think some of that was really – that was probably the most energetic the team was, was when Hagen Smith came in and closed out a game. And all of a sudden – this freshman lefty is looking like a closer, and they've used him in that role uh, since then. So that was a really interesting and key part of it. We're talking with Christina Long. She covers the Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network. She joins us here on RP3 and Company as we look ahead to the College World Series, which is going to feature not one, not two, but four teams from the SEC West, including those Razorbacks. And after they wrap up the Stillwater Regional, Christina, they have to go and play at North Carolina. I said it on the air. I liked Arkansas's chances of winning that Super Regional against the Tar Heels. I thought it was a good matchup, and I just thought being forced to win on the road in the regional round just makes you tougher and gives you a little bit of an edge that the home team does not have. And sure enough, it was one of the upsets during Super Regional weekend. What stood out to you the most about that, those two wins against North Carolina? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I felt like they were pretty evenly matched. Um, it was a really interesting kind of draw for them. Uh, and then, like you said, to have to go on the road. I really felt like once they won in Stillwater, it almost felt like they could win anywhere. One of the big difference makers in this series in Chapel Hill was Connor Nolan. And I know I've mentioned him a lot, but he had started the year really well um, as a starting pitcher. He was their Saturday guy. Um, or, sorry, he was their Friday guy. 
Hagen Smith, who I mentioned before, was their Saturday guy. Um, so Nolan was their Friday guy, and he had some really good long outings. Um, and then toward, toward the end of the season, he kind of started to have some tougher starts. Um, and he really has buckled down this postseason, and he went seven innings against UNC. That really helped save the bullpen. Um, and they put this kid, Will McIntyre, in. And he had been a midweek guy. And Will McIntyre, he had some good starts. You know, he had never looked bad. Um, but he really had a fantastic start against UNC in that second game. Um, I believe he went five and a third or two-thirds, um, and that really helped them save some arms. They brought Hagen Smith out of the bullpen, um, and they were really able to shut the door on them thanks to McIntyre being able to go as long as he did. So I felt like starting pitching really helped make the difference in Chapel Hill. Now they're in Omaha, one of four SEC teams that made it. They're all from the Western Division, and first up is going to be Stanford, and that, of course, will be on Saturday tomorrow, first pitch scheduled for 1 o'clock. You know, the, the number two national seed for a reason, even though they have looked vulnerable from time to time this postseason, the Cardinal has. How do you like this matchup to start off the College World Series for the Razorbacks? Yeah, well, Arkansas has a fascinating draw in that side of the bracket because they've played all those teams before. They played Stanford in February at the Round Rock Classic, one of those early season tournaments um, in Texas. And I believe at the time Arkansas was ranked number two, and I think Stanford was five. And Stanford shut them out. I think it was five to zero, if I remember right. And it was a really, you know, obviously the teams are very different now than they were in February. Um, what I, one tidbit I found interesting was both of the pitchers that started in that game, Hagen Smith and then Quinn Matthews for Stanford, both of them are now closers, uh, which I thought was really interesting. But I think that matchup, you know, they're very different teams, but Arkansas has seen them before. Arkansas does kind of know what they're getting into. They know how they were beaten by them before. So that could be seen as an advantage. Um, we'll see how the team kind of approaches that, um, familiarity aspect, but, I mean, Stanford struggled a little bit in their regional and super regional. It wasn't an easy road. You know, you look at a team like Ole Miss that just swept its way through the postseason, and that wasn't the case for Stanford, um, even though as the number two seed they had a couple of easier opponents. But Stanford's a really interesting team. I believe I picked them to win this game um, against Arkansas, but I do think Arkansas rallies through the losers bracket. So what do you think is going to happen for the Razorbacks? Do you think they're going to be able to make a run all the way to the championship series? So I think it's going to be hard, but in my official, uh, we as the USA Today Network uh, did some picks for, we had to, you know, pick through the bracket. And I have them going to the final against Texas A&M, but losing to the Aggies in the final. Um, I think I, ha I have them losing to Stanford, so I have them kind of going, taking the hard road. Um, but Arkansas did play Ole Miss and Auburn in the regular season, obviously, and did win both those series two out of three. Um, obviously, that was a little bit earlier in the season. Things are different now. It's all about, you know, getting hot, whatever, whatever. But um, they do have that element. Um, these teams are familiar with each other. The key will be if they can have a solid start against Ole Miss if they match against them because Ole Miss is so, so hot right now. They shut out Southern Miss in both of those super games. Um, and have won every game of the postseason. So Ole Miss is really dangerous. Auburn, too, can't be overlooked. So they definitely have a very tough draw. But I, I maybe it's the homer in me. I grew up in Arkansas. Maybe it's just what I want to see. Who knows? But uh, I do have them making it to the final um, the hard way. Christina. 
Appreciate your time. As always, keep up the tremendous work that you're doing there covering the Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network. Enjoy Omaha, and hopefully your time there will be uh, extremely long, a few weeks there in lovely Nebraska. Yeah, I've got my big suitcase back. <laughs> Thanks, Raymond. <laughs> Thanks, Christina. That's Christina Long. Covers Arkansas Razorbacks for the USA Today Network. Joining us there. Once again, four teams from the mighty SEC are in the field. There's only eight teams for the College World Series. Can we have a yet another all-SEC final championship series? That's what Christina's predicted. Arkansas versus A&M. Razorbacks will have to go through the loser's bracket to get there. But she likes Arkansas taking on A&M in the championship round and the Aggies winning it all. Will that actually happen? We'll find out. Action begins today in Omaha for the College World Series. We're just days away from the game celebrating its 10th birthday, and we're inviting you to our party, our soiree, if you will, as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Come join us at B-Dubs. That's right, Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday. There's going to be delicious wings and amazing door prizes, including station swag. I'm talking T-shirts. I'm talking koozies. Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from The Wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, a round of golf with cart at Cane Row Golf Course, a $150 gift card to Mosley Holland Men's Clothing, and so much more. In addition to all the great prizes and all the great personalities that are going to be there, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh is going to be broadcasting live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday from 4 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. We got to take a time out here on RP3 and Company. When we come back, we'll update the poll question of the day and give you the latest updates from the second round of the U.S. Open. That's all next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 17, 1978. In a win over the California Angels, Ron Guidry sets a New York Yankees record with 18 strikeouts. Louisiana Lightning would go on to record 248 strikeouts that season and win the Cy Young Award. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. We're going to talk more College World Series in a few moments when Josh Helmer, he's the co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast is going to join us. Oklahoma, one of the hottest teams in college baseball there in Omaha as well. They're going to actually kick off the College World Series this afternoon at 1 o'clock when they take on Texas A&M, one of the favorites to win the whole thing. So we're going to get more College World Series discussion up. But I need to give you an update from the U.S. Open. Right now, second-round action has begun your leader as it stands right now is Mathis Dafu. He's four under par, one under par through four holes today. He shot an opening round, 67. Adam Hadwin, who, by the way, was an alternate. He got into the field, wasn't supposed to be in the field, got into the field. That was your first round leader. 
<laughs> it's funny how that kind of works sometimes. He's yet to tee off. He's still there at four under. He won't tee off until 7-24. Rory McIlroy will tee off around 12-25. He's at three under as well. Dustin Johnson is even par through two holes. He's right there just lurking at two under par for the tournament. So is Justin Rose, who's even par. Sam Burns has moved up the leaderboard two under through the first three holes. He shot at opening round 71 yesterday. He's now one under for the tournament and in the top 15. Webb Simpson got a birdie through the first two holes as well. He's now at one under par. And Gary Woodland is remains at one under as well as he's even through one today. John Rahm, who is your defending champ, the Spaniard with the German name, he won't tee off until 12.03 today. Colin Morikawa will also tee off around that same time. Adam Scott a few minutes afterwards. So still plenty of heavy hitters. Scotty Scheffler, he's even par through two holes as well. Patrick Reed will be teeing off shortly. He's in a group that's just right there around the top 25. So that's the latest updates from the U.S. Open. I want to talk briefly about the Saints alternate helmets that were released yesterday. Our intern extraordinaire is not a fan of them. Lots of you are not a fan of them. I saw them. Look, first of all, I'm not a Saints fan. So I can be a little bit more objective about this. I like the black helmet look for the Saints. I think it looks clean. I'm not a fan of the 1,800 different Florida Lees on top of it that makes the stripe, which I think is... Because you can't see it. You're not going to be able to see it that well on television. Right? When you look up close on it, you can see it. That's great. That's not going to necessarily make a good television product, is how I view it. But I think they look clean. I would prefer the matted black look because you can buy the little mini helmet in the stores. I don't know if you've seen that, where it's it's that matte black. I think that looks better. Um, But I asked uh, you out there that follow the game's Twitter account. I did this yesterday. What does everyone think of these? And Salty Steve, who promised there was going to be no Salt Friday, could not help himself. (laughs) He says every player should get two of those, one to crap in and the other to cover it up with. So that's Steve's way of saying he's not a fan of the new black helmets. A lot of folks aren't. Look, here's how I view all of this. Do I think having alternate helmets, alternate uniforms is silly and a waste of time? Yes. If you have a classic look, stick with the classic look. This this need, which is speared on by in college from Oregon and Phil Knight, the head of Nike, fueling it, of having 18 different uniform combinations is silly. It's just a waste of time. If you have a great look, you have a great look. Use it. Your home jersey, your away jersey. Anytime they do these things with helmets or jerseys, it doesn't matter if it's the National Football League or Major League Baseball or the NBA, it's all a cash grab. It's all for you to go spend money to buy these things. That's all. That, that's what it's all about. 
It's all about making money. It's not about being cool. It's about making money. So that's number one. Number two, if you have a great look, just stick with it. I actually don't mind the Falcons bringing back the red helmets this year because it's what I grew up watching them play in when they had the black and gray uniform scheme with the red helmets. When Deion Sanders first came into the league as a member of the Atlanta Falcons, I have no problem with that. I like, if you're going to have an alternate jersey, make it be a throwback jersey, one that was immensely popular with your fan base. That's how I view this. Have your normal jerseys, home and away, and then you can have one alternate, and it can be a throwback jersey when people grew up watching it that they'll love. That's where I will make the compromise on. The color rush jerseys, not a fan either, by the way. I don't hate them. I'm not going to tell you to break your own code of not being salty on a Friday, Steve, about these things. But I just don't care for them. The color rush jerseys remind me, in the NFL, remind me of the jerseys that Oliver Stone created for any given Sunday. They look like Arena League jerseys. So... I don't get too fired up about all this because I just view it as silliness. It's just a cash grab by the league to make additional money. So I don't have a visceral reaction. Plus, my team that I grew up rooting for as a child has gone through two name changes in the last four years and has an owner that may have his team taken away from him. So, I, I, you know, I got bigger things to worry about. But reaction has been... Very polarizing about the Saints' black helmets on social media. Many people hate them. Some people think they're on fire, and I know that because they use the fire emoji. Hannah's teaching me how to understand social media better. The fire emoji means someone likes it. It does not mean that something's on fire. Literally. Very few people are in the middle, but I'm in the middle. I'm like, eh, okay. Wear the black helmet. That's great. With the 1,800 different Florida Lees. Okay, get after it. I'm sure people will buy them. I'm sure people will, you know, have them on display and everything. And, and, and that's fine. But I like my stuff to look, you know, clean. Class. I don't like things that look too busy as well. I like clean looks. Like I love Penn State's uniform. I love Notre Dame's uniforms. I love Alabama's uniforms. I love Ohio State and Michigan's uniforms because they're classic, clean look. I just do. That's what I prefer. I like the classic look. That's just me. You're entitled to your own opinion. And Steve broke his own thing. No salt Friday, and Steve brought the salt. Now, does it count, though, because I asked the question yesterday? It does not count. You asked it yesterday. So I so that's the loophole for our buddy Steve, Steve Flint. Yes. Since I asked the question on social media yesterday, he's technically answering a question from yesterday, so it's still he can still have the integrity of No Salt Friday. Yes, because it was answered for a question that was put up yesterday. He's going to be answering it today, but it was for yesterday's question. There you go, Steve. There's your loophole, bud. Also, I, I think they would have came off better if they would have had the black pants on instead of the white pants but 
that's just me in preference of like the color scheme of the entire uniform. But I think the helmet's good. I think it looked great in like post game close up interviews. I think that's where you would see it most. Correct. Correct. So there you go. There you go. Got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, we're going to talk more College World Series. Josh Hilmer. He's the co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast. He's going to tell us about the Oklahoma Sooners, who are the hottest team in college baseball right now. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. You'd be hard-pressed to find a hotter team in college baseball than the Oklahoma Sooners. They went on that great run in the Big 12 tournament. And then they just marched right through regional and super regional as the lower seed, knocking off higher seeded teams left and right. And they arrive in Omaha as the team no one wants to face. And guess what? The Texas A&M Aggies get to face them to start the College World Series later today. To give us some insight on everything going on with those Oklahoma Sooners, how did they turn things around? Just how great of a season is this compared to former years? and what kind of chance they actually have of winning the whole thing this year, is the man who's the host of the Plank Show, 9 to noon Monday through Friday on KREF Sports. He's also co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast, making his RP3 and company debut. Josh Helmer now joins us. Josh, good morning to you, brother. How are you? What's going on? Good morning. I'm doing fantastic. Ready for, ready for a big weekend of baseball. You got to love it. Um, man, look, I, I got to ask you, what's the excitement level there in Oklahoma for the Sooner fans for this team? We we know the softball team is a dynasty. They're the most dominant team in the country. But this baseball team seemingly kind of came out of nowhere nationally. What's the buzz like right now? I think people are very excited about what's going on with Sooner baseball. It's been for OU, it's been a long wait in the College World Series department. And I look, I know a bunch of people can say that it's been since 2017, since Texas A&M in their own right was in the College World Series. For Oklahoma, it's been since 2010. And that feels like an even longer wait when, oh, by the way, the other diamond sport right here in Norman, Oklahoma, has won five national championships in that time span. So I don't want to say that OU baseball organizationally feels that they've been overshadowed by Oklahoma softball, but in some ways they've been overshadowed by Oklahoma softball in the interest of the fan base has even turned a little bit towards softball. People like winners, but with OU baseball going on the run, obviously that they have here, through the postseason, and really just to end the regular season, 
that interest is is turning back around. And for the folks that have stuck with Oklahoma baseball, man, they're just over the moon. What's helped turn things around if you had to kind of crystallize it? Is it a couple of things? Is it one player or a couple of players, maybe the coaching staff? What is it that's been able to help turn things around? Well, they've they've found a couple of young players in this final two-month stretch of the season that maybe weren't playing as much beforehand. The pitching, pitching uh, ha- has been really, really good. You just look at since the start of the Big 12 championship on May 24th, Oklahoma's allowed four or fewer runs in nine of their 11 games, and they have a 3.55 team ERA. That's that's better than the upwards of north of five ERA that Oklahoma has for the entirety of the season. So you start there. The, the pitching has improved. Kate Horton is someone that Oklahoma lost for the season last year. He had Tommy John surgery. And now he's kind of pretty well established over this last month and change as Oklahoma's number three starter. So OU feels really good about what they have in their top line starter, Jake Bennett, and what they have in David Sandlin, their number two. They were kind of up and down with that number three starter, but now feel like they've found that option in Cade Horton. And, and the middle relief has been better over the course of this postseason push than maybe it was throughout the majority of this season. So that's for starters. They've got a star in Peyton Graham, who's really swinging the bats well. Uh, Tanner Treadway has been really, really good for Oklahoma. And then just up and down the lineup, I mean, Kendall Pettis has been a huge surprise for Oklahoma throughout this postseason. He's got six career home runs, and I think four of them have happened throughout regional and super regional play. We're talking with Josh Helmer. He's the co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Josh, what was the turning point for this season, in your opinion? The five five uh, regular season series to close the year. You know, you, you look back and you think, okay, well, yes, what exactly was that official turning point? And, I, I, you know, there was a loss to Lamar that was – kind of shocking on a Friday night when really at that point on April 15th, Oklahoma's, I mean, they're not fighting for the ability to host the Norman Regional. They're fighting to get into the NCAA tournament. And OU lost that Friday night game 14-11 to to Lamar. It was a damaging loss at the time in terms of your NCAA tournament candidacy. But really from that point forward, Oklahoma, they, they went up to Lawrence, they swept Kansas, so that would be the turning point you're looking at, really, for OU. But you go up to Lawrence, Kansas, and you win three games, and you score the amount of runs the way OU did in that specific series. Yeah, it grabs your attention, but it's also, you kind of look at it and you say, okay, it's Kansas. So following up that series win with another one versus Kansas State, and then TCU and Texas Tech, just the five series that they won to close the season. So they close out strong with the five series, but then they go on a run in in the Big 12 tournament. What stood out to you most about that? Well, obviously the great starting pitching that they got, and then just the contributions up and down this lineup. You need this time, you know this, 
this time of year, you need your stars to be just that. That's true of college baseball. That's true of any sport we cover and we watch. And Oklahoma has gotten that from Peyton Graham and Tanner Treadway. Those two guys have been marvelous. And then Blake Robertson, Jimmy Crooks have, have all been able to contribute for Oklahoma's lineup. And they've gotten the surprises along the way from a Kendall Pettis. OU runs really well as a team. Uh, one of my favorite stats about this Oklahoma baseball team. So they've got 142 bags that they've swiped on the season. That's the most since the 1989 team registered 168 stolen bases. Just to put into perspective how well this team has run as compared to previous Oklahoma outfits, the Sooners, they've stolen 142 bases, like I told you, in 181 attempts. They surpassed their total from all of last year in the 18th game of this season. So they, they really, really run well. They've made use of that in the postseason as well. And that's really kind of, if you're looking to beat Oklahoma, that's probably where you start is you limit the free passes and you don't let the Sooners run on you. Did you expect this team, based on what you saw and were witnessing at the end of the regular season and then through the Big 12 tournament, did you expect them to be able to make a run like they did through the regionals and super regionals? I thought they had a chance. I mean, it's hard for me to sit here and honestly and objectively say that I thought Oklahoma was going down to the Gainesville Regional, winning that, and then heading up to Blacksburg and bouncing who was seated as the number four team in this tournament in Virginia Tech. But the way they were trending coming into this NCAA tournament, you knew that if they could get some some solid starting pitching, if middle relief, which has been one of the problem areas for Oklahoma, if that wasn't just a total disaster, then just the way this team was swinging the bats, the way they've been playing, you knew they'd have a chance, but – it would be hard for me to sit here and tell you that absolutely I thought Oklahoma was – I thought they had a chance to go win the Gainesville Regional, but emerging from the Super Regional in Blacksburg was a surprise. Josh, I'm going to ask you to try to be objective here because Ole Miss supporters and Ole Miss reporters could make an argument for their team being the hottest team heading into the College World Series. I think it's Oklahoma. Are the Sooners the hottest team heading into Omaha? Yeah, uh, I mean, look, you look at Oklahoma's opponent today in Texas A&M, and I, I want to say that their five-game winning streak is it matches their longest of the season, and they're one of the two teams that obviously have, have done that throughout this postseason in the regional and super regional coming in. So you're going to have multiple teams, right, that are hot going into the College World Series. I'm a little biased on this subject. I'll openly <laughs> confess to that. It's hard for me to ignore the way that OU ended the season. They, they are 24-10 and 10 in their final 34 games, and uh, obviously they've been really, really good in, in the postseason here, dating back to the Big 12 tournament where uh, they've won 9 of 11. I think it's OU, but I would entertain other arguments. Josh, let's talk about today's matchup because we're going to kick off the College World Series in Omaha with Oklahoma taking on Texas A&M. It's an old Southwest Conference matchup. What's the biggest challenge the Aggies present the Sooners and vice versa? 
Well, again, the the Aggies are playing playing really good in their own right. Since April fifth, they are twenty six and seven, five game winning streak as we discussed coming into this thing. Jack Moss has really, really been playing well for them. Dylan Rock, we know, is uh, third team All American. So all of those, I think, are serious challenges for OU. Really for both teams, and this is cliche, and I get that it's it's boring, right? Maybe to have this response, but especially these Friday games in the College World Series, you have to get a great start from your number one starter. So I really think this game for both sides boils down to one simple thing: who's which team's Friday night starter this afternoon? We know looks like a Friday night starter this afternoon. I really think it's that simple. Who do you got winning today then, bud? I think Oklahoma's beaten Texas A&M. I'm, I'm maybe not as optimistic that I think Texas has taken care of Notre Dame on the other half of what would be this College World Series bracket for the Sooners. I, I'd, like to, I'd like to say OU's beaten Texas again, but I have my doubts in that uh, winner's bracket game. I kind of think Texas is going to end up winning this tournament in general, but we shall see. It's going to be fun. Wrapping up our conversation with Josh Helmer. He's the co-host of the Locked On Sooners podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, give me perspective because we know Texas and Oklahoma are joining the SEC. We've known that now for more than a year. I still feel like they're going to join a year early. Lawyers are going to get involved, especially with the Big 12 adding teams for 2023 already. Uh, What do you make of that? Do you believe Texas and Oklahoma are going to join the SEC a year early? Yeah, and I guess some of the latest buzz is they think maybe 2024. I've sort of always believed this is the final year in the Big 12 Conference for both Oklahoma and Texas. To me, to me, as soon as you get through this season, and if we're talking about OU's playing in a, a league with BYU and Cincinnati and UCF and Houston, and all of a sudden it's a 14-team conference in the Big 12, I just don't know that that's something – that Oklahoma wants to do in 2023. But, hey, you get through that season, then all of a sudden you've only got two years left on the grant of rights. So, to me, at that point, it's kind of like, why would you leave in 2024 if you've stuck it out that long? I think Oklahoma, I think this is the final year they're playing in the Big 12 Conference, though. I do. I think they're off to the SEC. I agree with you. I, I do think this gets renegotiated from the figure that we've heard initially Oklahoma and Texas I think are both anxiously awaiting who the new Big 12 commissioner will be and what their approach in all of this uh, will be the separation here I just I'd be shocked if OU and Texas are still in this league in 2024 2025 I just don't think that's happening and bud one more you know uh, we are in an area where softball is very big Uh, whether that's LSU being nationally ranked or the Louisiana Raging Cajuns being nationally ranked and making trips, and uh, even McNeese, uh, the Cowgirls, uh, get to NCAA regionals, which are right here in Lake Charles. What's been the secret to Oklahoma's dominance? Because they have been above and beyond better than everyone else in college softball. Well, they're amazing, first of all. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times that over this – decade long run you just 
you say to yourself, I'm not going to get wowed by Oklahoma softball again. There's nothing they can do today or tomorrow that will shock me. And then lo and behold, they pull off some sort of rally that you didn't expect. They just are incredible. The secret is great players, right? Lauren Chamberlain was initially the home run queen up until, guess what, Jocelyn Allo this year broke her mark. And you just up and down the types of superstars that Oklahoma has had, the Sidney Romero's of the world, Shea Knighton, they've been able to now establish themselves as this place that's a transfer portal destination. And if you're a Paige Parker or if you're a Paige Lowry, and now the latest name is Alex Duraco from Michigan, who was a 300 strikeout pitcher this season. It's where you want to be to come win national championships. So I say the players, the secret sauce, though, it's probably the head coach, right? It's Patty Gasso who has built this thing up into the place you want to be, which is just kind of amazing when the facilities maybe aren't, haven't been as good as others in the world of college softball. She has made Oklahoma softball the place that you want to be at. Josh, appreciate your time. Great stuff, bud. Tell the people where they can follow you for any updates on the College World Series and how they can check out the Locked On Sooners podcast. Yeah, give the Locked On Sooners podcast a follow. It's just Locked On Sooners, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube. You can search there. We love anybody interacting on the YouTube page. Myself, at Josh on Ref on Twitter. And 9 to noon with Chris Plank uh, right here on uh, the Ref down here in Norman. So appreciate you guys having me on and enjoy the baseball. It should be an awesome weekend. Appreciate your time, Josh. We'll talk to you soon, brother. Thank you. Okay, see you guys. It's Josh Helmer, Locked On Sooners podcast, joining us talking College World Series in Oklahoma. Sooners. Got to take a timeout, wrap up our number two, update the poll question of the day. That's next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. At Antenna TV, we've got big hair <laughs> and even bigger personalities. I know that. <laughs> We've got cool guys. Thank you, you have great taste. Classy ladies. <laughs> and strange characters. You can get wholesome family time. Or, uh, not. Because no matter what you're looking for, Antenna TV has something for everyone. Ain't that great? Watch Antenna TV Acadiana on KXKW over the air on channel 32.2. Oh, what are you going to watch this weekend? We want to hear from you. It's going to be a busy weekend. You got the U.S. Open. You'll have that this weekend. Stanley Cup Finals, College Baseball World Series. That's our poll question of the day. And right now, 48% of you say the College World Series. 30% say the U.S. Open. 18% say other. 4% say the Stanley Cup Finals. Dougie Fresh says, I'm ready for the College World Series. Keep an eye out for Stanford. They look sneaky good, Ray. Hashtag play ball. Yeah, they do, and they they were tested a little bit as well. So I think that matters as well. But I think it's wide open. I think it's anybody's College World Series to win this year. You have so many good teams. I know a lot of people like Texas, but would it surprise you if A&M or Ole Miss made a run or if Oklahoma made a run or Notre Dame? I just, I think it's just wide open. Latest updates from the U.S. Open there at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Mathis Davu 
is your leader. He's now six under par for the tournament, three under through the first seven holes today. Adam Hadwin, who was your first-round leader, is now uh, one over through two holes today as well. Sam Burns all the way up tied for seventh. He's three under through the first five. So we got some low scores posting here on Friday. That's going to do it for hour number two, hour number three, coming up right here. RP3 and company on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic is terrible. It sure is. But on top of that, gas prices have been skyrocketing. I can't believe how expensive gas has gotten recently. Prices at the pump are up, but I never pay full price for gas anymore. I just use the free Upside app that pays you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get paid cash when you buy gas with the Upside app? Yes, I get real cash back every time I buy gas. And does that actually add up to anything? I've made around $200. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the free Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code EARN for a $5 bonus on your first tank. That's promo code EARN. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, to PayPal, or an e-gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code EARN for a $5 bonus on your first tank. That's code EARN for a $5 bonus. Hello, Acadiana, Greg Schumann, General Manager of Acadiana Dodge South here in Abbeville. We all know during this pandemic and computer chip shortage, it's tough to buy, let alone find the perfect car, truck, SUV your family needs. So here at Acadiana Dodge South, we'll special order your brand new Dodge Chrysler Jeep or Motor Trend Truck of the Year, the Ram. Let our Acadiana family sales and service team give you all a true small town experience with great customer service before and after the sale. Only at Acadiana Dodge South, conveniently located at 2110 Veterans Memorial Highway, Abbeville, or online at AcadianaDodgeSouth.com. Hello, Discover here to explain our cash back match. Here's how it works. We give you cash back for using your Discover card on the things you were going to buy anyway. Then we match that cash back in your first year. And that's why we call it cash back match. Now to recap and say cash back one more time. We match all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year automatically. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Golden State Warriors dynasty continues. Just when you thought the window had closed on what Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, coached by Steve Kerr, were going to be able to do, they have a bounce back season. Once again, remember, they were not the one seed in the West, nor were they the two seed. They were, in fact, the three seed. And had to deal with some injuries this year with Clay Thompson, who's still quite not right. I don't know if you're going to see three years ago Clay Thompson again 
I, I could be wrong, but he's not as dynamic of a player as he used to be. But here they were, opportunity to get back and win their fourth NBA championship since 2015. And Steph Curry took over. He had that bad game the night, the game before. He wasn't going to have it again. And I said it earlier in the week. That was Boston's chance, right? Steph has an awful game, one of his worst games he's ever had in NBA Finals history. And he's played in a slew of them where he doesn't make a single three-pointer. Yet Boston couldn't take advantage and win that game. And I said, eh, that was your chance. That was your opportunity to take a game and make this a series. Boston was unable to do it. They opened up the door to allow Steph Curry to come back and to be dominant, and that's exactly what he did, dropping 34 points last night in the winning game six as Golden State easily closed out the Boston Celtics. Steph Curry wins the is named the NBA Finals MVP, and now that's four championships for Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And they've played for a couple others. I mean, think about that. What a run that's been. Is it as good? It's. I feel like it's probably on the same level as the run with the San Antonio Spurs where they were winning a championship every other year with Tim Duncan as the centerpiece. I think it's comparable to that. I think it's comparable to the early 2000s run by the Lakers. Is it quite as impressive as what the Bulls did in the 90s, winning six in eight years? No. But this group is still together, and they'll still have the opportunity to win another. They got to figure out Draymond's contract, though. That's the big hurdle for them. And and, and credit Draymond, he stepped up and gave them a double-double, 12-12 and last night. And actually contributed, which was nice to see because he looked pretty much washed up for good portions of these finals. But they still have Andrew Wiggins, who's in the prime of his career. Right? They got themselves another splash brother with Jordan Poole, who they've drafted and developed. I mean, it, it, it does not feel like the window's closing on Golden State, does it? I could see them making another run or two in the next couple years. The Golden State Warriors are your NBA champs for the fourth time since 2015. We got that going on. Of course, we got the Houston Astros. They're going to begin a three-game series this weekend at home against the Chicago White Sox. Despite only being 7-6 and six to start the month of June, the Strohs are here, and guess what? They've increased their lead in the Hale West. Now, Jeremy Pena, he's going to be on the IL for 10 days for a thumb issue. Got that. Alex Bregman is struggling mightily. The worst slump of his career, whether in college or in the pros. Yet the Astros are still in the driver's seat in the AL West. They keep it moving. And, of course, you got the College World Series. We talked a lot about that. This morning, Christina Long, who covers Arkansas for the USA Today Network, joined us earlier, and we just wrapped up a conversation last hour with Josh Helmer from the Locked On Sooners podcast. Oklahoma is also there as well. So College World Series begins today when Oklahoma takes on Texas A&M. Boy, 
it's going to be a wide open tournament in that regard. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Martin to the show. Martin, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? We are the champions, my friend. And we'll keep on fighting to the end. All is good in the NBA again. My Golden State Warriors are back on the top. Okay, I got to Mart, I got to ask. Okay, I'm just going to interject. First of all, I let you sing, and I wasn't uh, prepared for that. <laughs> and so g- God bless you for being brave enough to do that on the radio. That's one. Two. Oh, I'm brave. I'm brave. So how are you a Red Sox fan, but yet you don't cheer for the Celtics? Because I do not like the Celtics. I'm on the same boat as Kevin Foote. Uh, I never liked. I mean, even though I'm not, I'm not old enough, but I, I just never liked uh, Mikael. You know, I just always thought he was ignorant or whatnot. So, uh, but I always loved Steph Curry. He's a humble guy. LeBron James needs to learn how to be humble like him. Maybe he'll win a few more championships. Oh, this man, this uh, man's throwing LeBron shade at 8:08 in the morning. I'm here for it. Go ahead. Oh, whoa. Oh, I can throw LeBron shade at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm always down for that. <laughs> okay, well, Mark. Because I think- okay, so get, give me the rundown here. So let, let me see if I understand this properly. You're a Golden State Warriors fan in the NBA. You're a Boston yes, Red Sox fan for Major League Baseball. You're a Dallas yes, Cowboys sir. fan in the NFL. Yes, sir. And you're from Louisiana? Oh, I got all kinds of different, different, different teams, man. And I'm a, and let's throw in, you know, I I don't mind being the villain. I like being the heel uh, every once in a while. I know I'm probably aggravating a few people, but that's good. I'll take, I'll play that role. I love it. I'll do it all day. And I'm also uh, uh, a Nick Saban fan. So yes, I'm an Alabama Roll Tide fan. So uh, I'll throw that out there too. But. Uh, but yeah, uh, are you offended then if someone would call you Martin a bandwagon fan? No, because let's not forget I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and I'm sticking with them. I'm not jumping on the New England Patriots bandwagon. I'm not jumping on the Kansas City bandwagon. I'm not jumping on, uh, you know, all these teams, that's good. You know, I'm going to stick with my Cowboys, just like I told George Faust yesterday. I'm a diehard Cowboys fan through and through, and I always will be. They can go 0-whatever, 17, 16. I still will love my Cowboys. But, but Martin, where we, are you originally we, we from? Got I got to know. Probably the nicest stadium in the league. Martin, but where, Martin, where, we can't... Martin where, where are you originally from, bud? Uh... I reside in Erat, Louisiana. Oh, sir. so my man's from. So you're from Louisiana, but yet you don't root for any Louisiana teams. I root for you, well. I love you, well. Okay, I like you, well. Don't get me wrong. There we go. See, I needed to clear that up. I got. I got to figure out where where all and those allegiances my, are, bud. My my brother-in-law and my sister uh, graduated from Magnese, so I don't have a problem with Magnese. There we go. Don't like LSU. Don't like LSU. Never did. Don't like LSU. Uh, okay. All right. It All was right, killing me when Nick Saban was over there, so uh, he made the right move. I mean, he went to um, Miami, and yes, he did fail, but who doesn't fail in life, like I always say? You know, he's not an NFL coach. He's a 
college football coach. Alabama's the perfect fit, and I hate to bust a lot uh, all the, the LSU fans bubble, but he ain't going nowhere. No thing. He'll probably be in, in a walker, still coaching on the sideline, the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, uh, but yeah, and I also wanted to touch on. Um, you do secretly have a Dallas Cowboy fan in the making with uh, Hannah Fodnames. I got a jersey that I'm going to get for her. And once she puts on that th- that beautiful throwback Cowboys jersey with the white sleeves, there ain't no doubt. I have not a doubt in my mind she's going to be a Cowboys fan. There not it is. Doubt. All right, Martin, I got to let you go, brother. Thank you for the phone call. Enjoy hey, your y'all weekend. Have a ble- hey, y'all have a blessed weekend. And soon – to crown my avalanche is going to be the uh, Stanley Cup champions. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. So, my man, my man, okay. So, my man roots for Alabama football, Dallas Cowboys in the NFL, the Golden State Warriors in the NBA, the Boston Red Sox in Major League Baseball, and the, and, and the Colorado Avalanche in uh, hockey. Shout out to Martin. My man from Erath, he's just holding it down. I love Erath, by the way. They have a great Fourth of July celebration, by the way. In case you've never been, you should go. It's tremendous. Erath, home of the Bobcats, home of Elijah Mitchell, by the way. One of the best players I've ever covered in high school or in college. Shout out to Martin. That's a good phone call, and he's making Hannah uh, a customized uh, Dallas Cowboys jersey. So I we got that going down. for us. I said if it's free, I won't turn it down. So you probably wear. I said yeah, probably wear it in my house. You do realize, you do realize what that if you don a Dallas Cowboys jersey, even though you're not a fan, I may never speak to you again. I brought up one time I'm I just said saying. I had a Dallas Cowboys blanket that it was soft. And somehow saying that, that I, think, I think the star is a beautiful star, made me into Dallas Cowboys fans secretly. This is not, that's not all what that means. We just have one in our house. <laughs> Stepdad's a, a, a northern brat, so it's fine. I'm going to say something now. If Martin gets you the Dallas Cowboys jersey, you can – if you want to take that gift, that's fine. You will not be allowed to wear it inside the studio. Oh, no, that was, yeah, it was going to be only worn inside my house. <laughs> I just, I, I draw a line. I will accept Mard's phone call, even though he's a Cowboys fan. And that's everything uh, else he's a fan uh, of. I, I, I hated any me uh, of my team. So that's one. But I, I can respect someone for their fandom. But you, you don't root for the Cowboys. So no. if you start rocking a Cowboys jersey. I won't, don't worry. I won't allow it. It I mean, will not happen. Like I said, I will probably wear it in my house. I'll be all right putting it on in my house. And I'm wearing it out the house. I watch Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders because it's fun to watch them. And I wish I could do that still. I can't do that anymore because I don't have the flexibility for that. But I don't like the Cowboys. I'm never going to root for the Cowboys. You won't turn me just yep. like Paul wants for me into a Yankees fan. It's fine. There we go. There we go. Good phone call by Mark by Martin but we already have had decided what our game changer of the week is here's the call that was above the rest here's the call that was the cream of the crop this week shout out to our guy Brent here is this week's RP3 and company game changer let's head out to the hotline welcome on our first caller of the day Brent 
Brent, what's on your mind, brother? I just hope me and you are still friends. That's all I got to say. And then I got to ask you a couple of questions. All right, what you got, bud? One of them is uh, uh, there's rumors going around that Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended for the whole year because of that incident that he went through. And the way the commissioner does for the Saints, there might be some truth to it. What's your opinion on that? Here's Look, it's an interesting situation because it's already been delayed once, right? Now his court date's not until August. So it puts the Saints in a bad position. I agree with you. The commissioner in the in the league office is not going to do the Saints any favors, period. Right? That's not going to happen. But their protocol is usually to wait till after the court case has been decided. That's what they did with Big Ben back in the day with all of his stuff off the field. That's what they did last year with, um, you know, uh, Deontay. They wait until a decision is made, whether that is it's been decided by a judge or a jury, or if it's even been reduced down. If the charges get reduced down and you plead down to a lesser charge and it gets settled and you get probation. The NFL waits for that to happen before inflicting their punishment. So that's what they're waiting to happen. Now, if Kamara, there's a decision that gets made in August. I could see them suspending him for at least six games all the way up to a season. I, I really could because that's how Goodell likes to do things. Now, they could appeal it and get it reduced down, but if a decision is made in the, the legal case in Vegas from the Pro Bowl weekend that you're referencing, if that actually gets decided, whether he pleads down Brent or they actually go to trial in August – then he will be suspended this season. But there's a very good possibility that the case itself gets kicked down the road again and won't actually go to trial or have a decision made until later in the year or maybe even early next year. They will wait until something happens. The NFL always waits in, until a decision is actually made. And I got a comment for you about about your uh, radio station. You're going to be popular tomorrow when the Astros play because they own Apple TV. And that's the only way you can watch the game, if you have Apple TV. And if you don't, you have to listen on the radio. Well, that, there we go, bud. See, if you don't have Apple TV, you game's got you covered. Brent, brother, appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Stay cool and stay safe out there. You too, man. Have a good day. That was this week's RP3 and Company Game Changer of the Week. That's right. And you know what put Brent over the top? giving us some love about being the home of the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Remember, flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> Reminder, Astros White Sox will be on the air tonight. 7-10 first pitch, live from Minute Maid Ballpark, beginning of a three-game weekend series of the Southsiders come to town to take on the Strohs, and you can listen to it live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. When we return, cashing tickets with Nick Fonda will be next. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tired of having your pockets emptied out due to bad sports bets? 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Listen up, because it's time to take down some notes and get paid with advice from semi-pro gambler Nick Fontenot. I get so nervous when I gamble. I'm so silly. Here is Cashing Tickets on 103.7 The Game, Acadiana's sports station simulcast on Stadium 32.3. 
Nick, good morning, brother. How is your wallet? How's the bank account doing after last weekend, my friend? The NBA finals were not kind to me. <laughs> so how 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 bad did things go for you last night when Golden State closed it out and beat Boston in six? Look, we don't unit shame around here, right? Whatever you whatever you're comfortable with wagering, that's what it is for you. And I see you know, sometimes I see Clint Domingue post his little, you know, $5 bet. Hey, that's fine. We don't unit shame. My, my unit's a little bit bigger than that, and, uh, and and it hurt. Last night really hurt the uh, really hurt the wallet. That was, a, that was a tough one to swallow. How much does uh, Jason Tatum's performance in this finals, how much did that hurt your wallet? With the exception of one game, he's been pretty just average. Uh, yeah, he's forever dead to me. So I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> forever dead to me. All right, bud. So you didn't do too well with the NBA Finals. What about the Stanley Cup Finals? We had a great, dramatic game one between the Colorado Avalanche and the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning, of course, are the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs. But the Avalanche take game one. Does game one, the how that turned out, does that change your perception on how you're betting for these Stanley Cup Finals? I, I still like the Lightning. They're the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, and they they were down 3-1 in that game. They came back to tie it up, and then the overtime goal got them. There's no doubt about it. Colorado's the better team. They're, they're, they're better. They play better hockey, and they've been the best team all year. They're better than Tampa Bay, but I think there's something to be said about winning two in a row and having that winning pedigree, having that experience. Of, of knowing what it takes and the fact that they were down 3-1, were able to come back and get it to overtime. I like Tampa Bay to win this series. They're plus 230 right now. So w- whenever you have a, a team like that that you kind of like and, and they lose that game one, they can always come back. Look at what just happened in the NBA Finals, right? The Warriors lost game one. They came back to win this series. I think it's going to be a very similar situation here where Colorado's good, better. I think the Celtics were better than the Warriors, but the Warriors were just tested. They got it done. I think the same thing is going to happen here. Colorado's better. But the Lightning just know how to get it done, and they're going to get it done. So plus 230 on the series, I like that for the Lightning. Not to mention that the Lightning were down two games to none to the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals and came back and won that series. So they've proven that they can do this just, you know, last week. Uh, Give me some different type of side bets besides overall who's going to win the finals. Give me some interesting side bets that are going on for the Stanley Cup Finals. So you can always bet, like, these these players to score goals or players – players to, to get goals and those always pay higher but look for the points points are assists and goals and, and in hockey it's, it's it's you can get an you can get an assist for like two passes away like three different people can get an assist on a goal in hockey so you, you can really make some money if you go for the points and uh, guys like nathan mckinnon and uh, and, and valerie nishukin and all those guys you know they're, they're going to score score a lot of goals but if you if you get them on the points line, it'll it'll bring your odds a little bit lower, so you won't make as much money. But you have a better chance to win if you bet on the if you're going to props route to bet on the points and not goals. Goals are sexier, of course, and it pays more. But if you go on the points line, you have a better chance to win. All right, let's switch over from the ice to the Diamond College World Series begins this afternoon, Nick. There in Omaha, I feel like it's wide open. Uh, with four teams from the SEC. Uh, who's the betting favorite out of the SEC, and who are you putting money on out of the SEC to win? Yeah, it's it's wide, it's wide open. I, I, man, I had Tennessee. I, I just thought they were they were a lock to get it done, and, and, and now they're out. So we really don't know 
uh, who, who's the who's the favorite or who's going to win it. Um, Stanford looks like the betting favorite at plus four fifty. Texas also tied right there, kind of kind of right there with them with plus five hundred. That's who I'm picking. Texas was the preseason number one in just about every poll, and, and they had they kind of struggled through the year, but they're in, in Omaha. They're playing good baseball right now. I'm going to go with Texas plus four fifty. So it's it's SEC adjacent, right? It's not they're not quite. In the SEC just yet, but they're but they're heading there. So it's like on the on the outskirts of the SEC. So uh, I'm sure in years to come, the SEC will claim that Texas won if they were to win the national championship. But I like Texas at plus five hundred to get it done. They'll claim I like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so you didn't pick an SEC team. You're you're going with Texas or Stanford. Those are your betting favorites. What team out of the SEC do you like if you got a little extra cash that you would put money on to win the whole thing? The University of Mississippi. Ooh. I mean, they are just—they're playing with house money right now. They are by far the worst team left in the in the tournament, but they have nothing to lose, and they, they could go out there and get it done. They are the final team in, in the in the betting odds at plus one thousand, so they would make you the most money if you were to take them. But I'm gonna go with Ole Miss if I'm gonna pick a sleeper. I, I like Texas. I like Arkansas. You know, they they're kind of making up for last year they could they could make some noise and i know a lot of people are high on notre dame right now because of what they did to tennessee but i'm gonna pick i'm gonna stick with texas as my pick to win it right now but man Ole miss could get it done like i said they're, they're playing loose right now they're playing really good and i think they're they're just uh they're led to fly and when you get a team like that that's kind of dangerous they might be able to get it done let's switch over to golf u.s open second round action is already has begun nick uh how does one bet on a golf major? How does that work? Especially if, let's say I go to my sports book this afternoon. I didn't get my bets in before the tournament. What's available to me? How, how can I bet on golf? So so the way you make money there is betting like top 10s and top 20s, trying to get guys to, to get in there. But uh, you can always bet like a, a guy to win a tournament. That's going to be a little bit more difficult for uh, for you to kind of pick that winner. I, I like Will Dallatoris to win the tournament. At plus two thousand, but if you can get uh, you know guys to to finish in the top ten or finish in the top twenty, that's where you kind of get a, a little bit better chance to win. It gives you a, a, a wider spectrum to kind of get those guys in there. So if you pick a Will Val, Will Zalatoris to win at plus two thousand, well he has to actually win the tournament. Pick him to finish in the top twenty, you might get him at like plus five hundred, but you can still make money. So so look for those odds: top twenties, top forties, things like that. It gives you a better chance to win. All right, bud, give me somebody else. Kind of uh, you, you like your odds. You like that guy. Who else uh, do you is has got great value right now on, on the betting line for the U.S. Open? Dustin Johnson, plus 2,700. I mean, the guy knows how to win. He's won the U.S. Open before. He's playing with a little chip on his shoulder with the live golf thing. It's, is he supposed to be there? Is he ever going to get to play in the U.S. Open again? Like, are they going to change these rules? Like, he's got a lot riding on his shoulders, I guess. But he's kind of playing uh, – playing with a, with a chip on the shoulder. So plus 2,700 for Dustin Johnson. And, of course, the favorite for us around here, Sam Burns, plus 1,200. That'd be nice if he could get it done. He's right in the leaderboard. He's at minus one right now. He's up there with the leaders. So Sam Burns plus 1,200, Dustin Johnson plus 2,700. But, man, I really like Salatoris to get it done at plus 2,000. Nick, appreciate your time. As always, brother, enjoy your weekend. And hopefully when we talk to you next week, you'll be flush with cash, my friend. It's got to get better. It just has to get better. <laughs> we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, it'll be time for the Big Easy Blitz. Catherine Terrell from The Athletic.
She covers the New Orleans Saints as a reporter slash columnist. She'll join us to give her thoughts about minicamp and what are the big question marks for the Saints heading into training camp next month. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Mini camp is wrapped up. New Orleans Saints are going to have some time off now before having to report for training camp next month. But what are some of the questions that still remain to be answered? Did minicamp and the voluntary workouts kind of answer any of those questions? What about the depth at running back? What about the competition across the offensive lines, particularly the backups? What about the DBs? There sure seems to be more defensive backs than there are roster spots. And what about wide receiver? We know Jarvis Landry has been putting on a show. Michael Thomas yet to kind of perform. But what about the other guys? Who kind of has shined the brightest, so to speak? To give us perspective here, give us insight on the Big Easy Blitz on RP3 and Company is the Athletics' Catherine Terrell. Catherine, good morning to you. Thank you for making the time. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. So let's start off with this. Jarvis Landry, I just kept hearing every day seemingly from yourself and other reporters and people around the team just how impressive Jarvis was over and over again from his teammates to coaches to media folks. Was he Has he been the, the biggest, I guess, standout in a lot of ways from what you've seen from voluntary workouts in minicamp? Um, I think so. I, I mean, I think Chris Olave has done a lot of nice things too, but you know, when you kind of look around, uh, he should be the standout. That's what James Winston said. Um, you know, he's a veteran guy. There's still no Michael Thomas. Uh, Deontay uh, Hardy wasn't even there until minicamp. And there's, you know, Trayvon Smith has been around, but you expect Jarvis Landry to come in and make those spectacular catches over Trayvon Smith. So, yeah, I think he's looked consistent. I, I think he's looked good. And then, like I said, next to him, I think um, Alave has a lot of promise, which is exactly what you want to see in your first-round pick. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see how they all match at training camp, uh, especially, you know, as Jameis Winston gets more and more removed from that ACL surgery date. You know, at this point, he's still limping around. He still has a knee brace, but he's going to play in that. Uh, so another month uh, could make an even bigger difference in how he looks. Well, obviously the wide receivers are going to be set. We expect Michael Thomas to be fully healthy, right? So Thomas will be on one side, Alave on the other, Landry in the slot. So that means all the guys that struggled with being the number one, number two, number three wide receivers a year ago, Catherine gets to be pushed down to four, five, and six, which maybe makes them a little bit more comfortable, and maybe they'll have a little bit more confidence how do you think that's going to shake up there at four, five, and six in the wide receiving core? Well, I wouldn't say we expect Michael Thomas to be healthy. I think that's the huge question. I mean, we expected him to be healthy at this point last year, and we were thrown a huge mm-hmm. curveball. That's fair. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I'm kind of tempering my expectations there, considering how little they've said about it, how we've only seen him once. Um, even though, you know, he was standing out there looking, watching practice, Looks okay, but, you know, you just never know. So until he's actually out there, 
I'm fully participating, I guess. Um, you know, I'm going to be cynical, but, you know, the hope is that that's going to happen. So, you know, like you said, say that does happen, as um, should be expected. Then I think that it helps out a guy like Marquez Callaway, who had a really good camp last year, but really shouldn't have been thrown in as a number one wide receiver going into the season. I think he should have had more time to develop, and circumstances didn't dictate that. So it's going to be interesting because that guy who was the number one wide receiver could be a healthy scratch uh, this fall if everyone else is healthy. Uh, it's kind of intriguing now that they finally have some weapons in the wide receiver room enough to the point where uh, you might just not be scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for these guys. So, you know, between that and I guess the hope that Kamara plays the whole season, I think, you know, again, that's up in the air with the suspension. No one really knows what's going to happen. The Saints actually have weapons now. So it's really exciting for me to think about Winston and Michael Thomas actually playing together, which we really haven't seen i don't know if we've seen that at all actually no we we, we haven't the timeline matchup, but i don't think so no we we haven't seen it they haven't had an opportunity to play together which is going to be exciting to finally get to see that this season and and, and sticking with the wide receiving core you know they brought back traquan smith uh, obviously on a team-friendly deal but when i look at this team from afar and obviously i don't cover it every day like you do so that's why i'm asking it sure does feel like Traquan may be the odd man out because they're really high on Callaway. We know what Deontay Hardy brings to the table as a vertical threat. I mean, he's obviously a great special teamer, but they love using him as the vertical threat. It sure does feel like Traquan, even though he's a great run blocker and they love that about him, he may be the odd man out. Yeah, I think that's what people would automatically assume, but it actually might be Callaway because – you know, when, you, when you're putting all these receivers active on game day, they all have to have some sort of specific role. So when a guy can run block, it, when a guy can block, it, it makes him a lot more valuable to have active on game day. Um, and I, I initially, I, you, know, I was, yeah, you know, reporters, we all talk amongst ourselves about what we See, how we see the season playing out and all that. And initially I thought, well, oh, yeah, maybe Traquan is the guy at the bottom. But it actually could be Callaway, which is kind of interesting, right? When I just said, you know, he was the number one guy last year, um, it's kind of crazy to think about. But I, I guess it would come down to those two, I guess, as to who would be a healthy scratch. Um, but I, I definitely could see Callaway being a healthy scratch some, uh, some games, depending on what they need from those receivers. We're talking with Catherine Terrell of The Athletics. She covers the New Orleans Saints. She joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Catherine, let's switch to the offensive line because we spent so much time focusing this offseason on wide receiver or what's happening with Kamara or even quarterback. Offensive line is key for me because they were injured last year, and when they did play, a lot of them did not play well. Cesar Ruiz did not play well. McCoy was had his ups and downs. That's, you know, they bring in Doug Marone to fix that, right? That's why they brought him back to help fix the offensive line. What have you seen through voluntary workouts and minicamp that's been an encouraging sign about the O-line? Well, I think it's encouraging that Ramchek is back after he missed seven games at the end of last season uh, with that knee injury, and he said he's feeling really good. Uh, on the other hand, McCoy is, is not fully back. He's been limited in practice. I think think he has been doing team drills in minicamp. 
So probably not anything to worry about. They're probably just trying to be a little cautious with him. Hunt's been participating. Just sometimes they don't have him do 11 on 11. Uh, I think, you know, Pete is back. It got it feels like everyone was injured. I think Penning, there's a lot to like about him. Uh, they kind of been putting him in with the ones a little bit, but when James Hurst came back after he missed OTAs, uh, Hurst went back into the number one position at left tackle. So I I think you you know the idea would be to have Penning start the beginning of the season, but if not, you have a capable backup. And then you know they talk so much about Ruiz not having true off seasons, even though he's going into his third season. So it's probably a make or break year for him. I think there's really no more excuses. You know he has this whole off season. He's healthy, uh, so maybe he can take that leap. So I think there is positivity. I just think that it's not the same feeling as. Everyone went into, at this point, last season or last year when we thought, okay, this is the best unit on the team. I think losing Armstead is a big blow, uh, but, you know, it just all really, you know, depends on how Trevor Penning plays. The hope is that he can play well as a rookie, and there's no guarantee with that. But I think he's shown some nice things. So Sorry, I think he's shown some nice things so far. Uh, Catherine, who on the roster is going to push – uh, is Caesar for that right guard spot? I know they love having competition, and now that everyone's healthy, who's who's going to be the guy in camp that can push Caesar for that right guard starting job? Well, I thought Calvin Brockmorton had a, a great year last year, going from not you know not expected to play at all to playing. God, I don't know how many games he started, but he started a lot. And I thought he showed some really nice things last year. The guy is really versatile in college. He played every position. Uh, actually, not every position. He did not play left guard. But he did play every other position. So that's another capable backup. So if you're going to look at any guy, it, it's probably him. So I think the Saints have always done a really good job of finding backup offensive linemen that you know, can be relied on when asked to start. And that's such a simple thing to say, but man, is it hard to do? So that would be the guy I'd be watching in camp again this year to see how he does. Running back has been an area of concern because of the uncertainty involving Alvin Kamara's legal case in Las Vegas. And we could go any direction with this, Catherine, right? It could be pushed again. It's just a hearing in August. It's not a trial. So the hearing could be pushed back again. The trial could not happen until after the season. He could plead out. There's a, a litany of different things that could happen. That's made fans say, hey, why aren't we signing another running back? In your opinion, should the Saints bring in another veteran running back just as an insurance policy? And when do you think they should do that? Well, they had David Johnson trying out uh, at minicamp this week. And Dennis Allen said it wasn't related to Kamara, but, you know, that's one veteran guy to keep an eye on. But I actually really like Abram Smith, the undrafted rookie from Baylor. You know, he only had one big season at Baylor because they wanted him to play a bunch of other different positions, even on defense. But it was a great season, and I think the Saints were lucky to get him as an undrafted guy. I think that's someone um, to keep an eye on. I mean, I'm going to be watching him at camp. And I think that the Ingram question is just how much does he have left in the tank? You know, Ingram is a is a really good compliment to Kamara, but he's not getting any younger. So, you know, how much does he have left? I think it's possible Kamara doesn't get suspended this year. I think you do see a suspension eventually, but as you said, 
probably depends on, you know, do they continue the case? And if the case keeps getting pushed, then do they have anything to go on as far as a suspension goes? I feel like the NFL never uh, never lets on about this stuff until right before it's happening, right? Correct, correct. And the NFL always waits until the legal proceedings are done, and then they drop the hammer. Uh, and it doesn't even matter if you plead or not. I mean, you could go from a felony down to a misdemeanor and just get community service, and Goodell's still going to drop the hammer. So, But they always wait till after the legal process is completed to do that. That's always been their, their MO, and I don't see that changing either uh, in this occasion. Let's talk about the defense, Catherine, before we let you go. I, they're, they're so stacked on that side of the football, and they even got better this offseason with the draft and with what they did in free agency. What are you going to be looking out for on that side of the football when training camp when uh, training camp begins next month? Uh, I want to see how the new safeties look. Uh, I think that Marcus May didn't really do much uh, in OTAs as he recovers from his injury, but I would assume that training camp is the goal for him. Uh, Tyron Matthew, obviously an exciting new addition. I think that's going to be fun to watch. Then the defensive backs, I think that's going to be interesting. Alante Taylor is a, is a really interesting guy. Everyone was a little confused when they picked him um, because they kind of went from having a major cornerback problem last summer to being okay at that position. You know, they, they're kind of – they have a, a lot of depth now. But I think that he's a guy to watch. You know, maybe he pushes a Debo. He's, he's a really confident guy. He can play special teams, so I don't get him on the field right away in some capacity. But I want to see how he looks in camp because I think he's looked good so far. And uh, Dennis Allen said he's further ahead than he thought, which is a really positive sign. So a lot of things that I'm looking at, but I think it's going to be fun to watch. I mean, at this point last year, I think they were going into training camp thinking Patrick Robinson was going to be one of the starting quarterbacks. And then all of a sudden, you know, he retires and – it just uh, it is not that dire this this time around. So it'd be fun to watch this camp battles. Catherine, appreciate your time. Thank you so much for making uh, uh, making it for us on this Friday morning. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing there with the athletic, and we'll talk to you during training camp. Yeah, thanks for having me on. That's Catherine Terrell of the Athletics. She covers the New Orleans Saints. Appreciate her time. And look. The secondaries, I've made this comparison about the Alante draft pick. People are like, why did they do that? Because your head coach now is a former defensive coordinator. And he just drafted a toy. Think of it that way. It's a brand new toy. Sean Payton did this all the time when he took offensive players. This is what he's going to be doing. This is a guy that's versatile enough that they can line up in multiple positions and can do a variety of things. That's an asset, and that's someone that is going to make a big impact as a rookie if he stays healthy. Hey, just a reminder, you love to entertain at your house, in your man cave, in the outdoor living area for football weekends in the fall, right? Well, guess what? Lafayette Marble and Granite, they can take that area and take it to the next level. You already know that they pride themselves on earning your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. They provide... Show-stopping marble countertops for kitchens and bathrooms, but they can also take man caves and outdoor living spaces to that next level to make them the envy of your neighborhood for game days in the fall. Visit their website right now, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday.
So visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their showroom located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. We got to take our final time out of today's show when we return. We'll update the poll question of the day, finalize it, if you will, and get you set up for footnotes with guest host George Faust. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hey, just a reminder. Yeah, big event this weekend that you need to know about. If you can, go out and support it. It's for a great cause. And that, of course, is Trail is putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to the free paddling, which, hey, that's awesome just by itself. There's also going to be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teat for Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are welcome. Trail will match up to $20,000 in donations. For more information, simply visit latrail.org. Visit www.latrail.org. And... We got another great event for you next weekend. That's right. Rescue Fest is Saturday, June 25th at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There's going to be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana. They're an organization that provides financial and emotional assistance for grieving families of child loss. They do great things. We had their founder on the show yesterday. To buy tickets, simply go to Eventbrite or by visiting rescuegroup.org. Final results of the poll question of the day are being tallied. While that occurs, let's take a moment to thank our guests. We had a slew of them this morning. James Yasko from the Lima Time Time podcast. Christina Long from the USA Today Network covering the Arkansas Razorbacks. Josh Helmer from the Locked On Sooners podcast. He covers the Oklahoma Sooners, of course. Nick Fano, our cashing tickets guru. And, of course, Catherine Terrell from The Athletic, who covers the New Orleans Saints. Thanks to all of our guests for helping us wrap up this work week. Final results of the poll question of the day. What will you be watching this weekend? 48% of you say College World Series, which begins this afternoon with Texas A&M taking on Oklahoma. 30% of you say the U.S. Open, which is currently in progress right now. Second round action, by the way. Uh, Mathis Adalfoul still leads at four under. He's one under through 11. But Matt Fitzpatrick, the Englishman, is one under through seven. He's at three under as well. Rory McIlroy yet to tee off. He's three under as well. 
18% of you say others, and 4% say the Stanley Cup Finals. Woo! What a week. What a day. What a team we got here at the game. For the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again on Monday, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest host George Faust is next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.